And we're live with another episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm CK Tricky, or I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we were just joking this is, that this is going to be the quarantine. We don't know what's going on anymore because it's been a, it's been a week and now no one, no one has any social skills left, right? We're all going to have to learn how to talk again. Obviously, as as exampled by CK Tricky over there, right? Not being able to say anything. Uh, there's not a lot to talk about outside of the fact that everyone is isolated. So uh, I did, uh, besides Salt Lake City was this past weekend, but it, it ended up going virtual. Uh, it's out on YouTube. If you want to go watch any of the talks, there was some interesting stuff that came out of that. Um, but always good that it was it was virtual at the same time. So it's already out there as opposed to waiting for two months or whatever for them to rip all the, all the video. So um, go check that out. There was some interesting stuff on JavaScript and malware that I found especially interesting. Um, I'll find a link and post it here shortly. Uh, but other than that, I know there's a lot of online stuff going on. Um, what is it? Uh, Leslie had the pancakes con going on. I don't know if either of you watched that. Uh, I saw some of it, but just didn't get as much time on Sunday when she was running it. So I'm going to go back and watch some of those because there, there looked like some good stuff there. I think this is going to be a renaissance of like really good online content. So if you have time, pay attention and tweet at us about it, right? Or, you know, let us know in the Slack because we'll promote that stuff. I think it's going to be pretty good. Kat, did you watch some of that then? Sorry, we have Kat Sweet with us this week. Yay. Thanks for coming, Kat. Hi. Uh, we'll do full introductions in a minute. But Kat, did you watch some of PancakesCon? I watched a few. Um, I tried to get a very socially distant bike ride in um, during the afternoon, but before and after, I caught um, I caught Johnny Sunshine's talk on legacy Unix and legacy uh, ancient grain bread, which was cool. And I saw um, Caitlin's um, uh, image abuse and makeup tutorial one. Um, so it was good stuff. And there were a couple others that I was kind of in and out of, had it on in the background while I was cleaning and stuff. Yeah. But I'm really glad that they got to do that. I think it was it was a good way to uh, not only bring people together in a time when we're all trying to figure out connection during isolation, but also showcase that people in security are really multidimensional. We we spend a lot of time talking about like security has to be your only passion. This is what you have to throw yourself into. And like, no, people like to bake, they do martial arts, they go running, uh, all these cool things. So that yeah. was neat. And I hope they do it again. Yeah, and I, th I think it'll be good. I mean, I, we have a lot of discussions about like self-care, right? Because I think we all struggle there and we struggle with imposter syndrome and the way that we like deal with anxiety and depression. Because I feel like it's pretty common in the industry. Like I know one of the threads that I had on Twitter, you know, at one point was like, hey, how do you deal with it? And it was crazy to see everything else that people were involved with. Right. Like whether it was running, whether it's, you know, sports or even just reading. And yeah, it, yeah, it, everybody's I mean, a person. Right. It's not just the security aspect. I know we we have a tendency to focus on that because that's what we're doing on a day to day basis with these people that we're interacting with. That's what we have in common. But there's quite a bit of interesting stuff that's out there that's not security related. So. Yeah, it was cool that Leslie pulled that together. I know we've been talking too uh, about putting together like a gin and juice con or something like that, something virtual as well. I don't know if that's going to uh, happen or if it does, we'll tweet out about it. Right. Like, so I'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to be more of it. So, If it does, you should hit up Tracy Mayleaf because she is all about hashtag gin fosec. Gin fosec. Ooh. Yeah. Gin yeah we... She loves her gin products. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Yeah, we got She's it. also just a really, really cool security operations professional who she works for the New York Times, which has to be a really interesting threat model. Uh, and um, and she came up as a law librarian. So again, with cool. The, the cool backgrounds. That's a really yeah. interesting background. Yeah. Well, so um, anyway, I, like uh, maybe we'll do the, the full on introductions here. I mean, if anybody's got anything specifically they want to talk about, great. That's not quarantine related, right? Um, because I feel like that's getting beaten to death. Uh, just, yeah, that's because it's in front of everybody's face. Or if you have something to, you know, for the kids to do, that'd be great too. Right? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Besides yeah, Minecraft, out. right? You come watch my kid. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I won't. That's not proper social distancing. No, we'll do it online. You'll, you'll, I'll set up a Zoom. I'll set up a Zoom and I'll just keep them in this room and you just watch them for me. And, sure. uh, yeah. I actually okay. saw a couple things uh, political around to that effect as to like, my kids are home, but I need to do work. What do I do? Um, my friend Caroline Harden, um, her handle on Twitter is at Caroline's Castle. Uh, she wrote up a guide for uh, parents who are working from home and have kids who are at home as to like how to structure your time um, and what, what types of activities to do with them, given the bounds of like everyone has to stay in either indoors or in your, in your yard um, and stay away from other kids. So that was really cool. Um, and then I think Lee Honeywell uh, is doing some kind of webinar with uh, somebody. I don't remember the details of that one, but basically on, on sort of similar things like um, having kids at home when you have to work. It's not an easy task by any uh, means. <laughs> no, it's hard to make because they What's that? It's hard enough with cats. They like to to, cr to crush the <laughs> yeah. Zoom meeting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I see, say, I, every I, time I leave my office, my cat is sitting there waiting for me as well, yeah. wanting something. So, food, yeah. cuddles, whatever. <laughs> I just uh, I happened to open up Lee Honeywell's uh, Twitter and it just made me laugh. So that's why, because she had some pretty funny stuff she posted. So, oh, nice. pretty pretty humorous if you if you happen to yeah, glance at her Twitter profile. I mean, I know everybody's been, you know, making jokes that we've been, all of us introverts have been training for this our entire lives, right? Um, it's, it's been interesting, though, to, wa to watch the transition as people work from home and trying to make that actually feasible. Uh, like, I feel like, you know, Ken and I, you know, as consultants, we were doing that, like, we've been working for from home for years, right? So I, years, I don't feel yeah. like, yeah. I'm getting the complaints from the family that, well, your life hasn't changed at all. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's not my fault. Right. Yeah. But it has <laughs> though, because, because I, yeah, because now you're here and you want to come in and talk at all hours. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, well, it it's has too. I mean, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. This doesn't just work from home. I work from, I work from home anyway and have worked even before my current role, I worked on a distributed team uh, for, my, in my last role and it's it's not the same there's no there's an there's a layer of hypervigilance that wasn't there and mm -hmm. so even if your your workspace hasn't changed it's still a little bit harder to stay focused because everyone is scared and there's a lot of unknowns so yeah anyway we i, I know we we're going to talk about stuff more fun than quarantine <laughs> and inventing <laughs> <the> zoom <laughs> That's uh, that's okay, you know. Your Zoom stock's probably doing pretty well, right? But <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Anything that's Everyone like still hates WebEx, so yeah, <laughs> they do. <True. laughs> yeah, anything that's like remote technology that assists you with your job is probably doing pretty well right now. Mm -hmm. You know, but yeah, it's weird because like I wonder if this will make companies that traditionally are. Um, pretty sketch. They're sketched out by like the uh, the idea of people working from home. I wonder if they'll be more uh, after this, more or less accepting of, or if it'll have any impact on um, companies like viewing remote work differently. I don't know. Yeah, I imagine it will. Yeah. Right? I like, I think we're going to see a shift. What cap? I was going to say, I was going to say the same thing. Um, it's just, I think some companies will interpret the same data differently of um, if people are struggling to work remotely, um, they will read into that as remote work not being a good thing because that when really people are struggling because there's a pandemic. Um, so oh, it, yeah. it could go either way, like you said. So that's a good point. I didn't think about the fact that it's, Man, you, you, that's a really good point because you're right. Like, uh, it's not a normal, it's a skewed version of working from home because you don't normally deal with the pressure of like, yeah, what's going to happen next as a country, as a world. So mm -hmm. I didn't think about that. That's a really well, good people, point. And usually if you work from home, you have, you have enough lead time to order the gear you need for a workable remote setup. Whereas people were kind of, 
forced into it, it's like, surprise, you've got to stay home and everyone scrambles to get their office gear home or maybe they just left stuff behind and suddenly they realize they don't have a monitor. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I did not think about that. I was thinking like, maybe this will be a moment for, for remote work, but now you now, now it's like, Oh, you're right. I That's think, just a, it's like not a, it's not a pure true version of working from home. It's like a messed up kind of ramshackle. Probably a lot of people don't have a nice home office set up, like you said. And then you've got like other pressures of your kids or being home or, you know, um, significant others or roommates or whatever. And like, now you're, distracted so it's interesting but it could be it could be a really positive moment where companies that are maybe where maybe a lot of stuff was happening in person but not but not getting put into slack or into emails um it it can be a a sort of a a bit of an equalizer when everyone is remote suddenly and you have to you have to stay in constant communication. So there are potential positives to it. I'm going to hope for the positive. (laughs) Yeah. So say we all. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say like having dealt with, I I don't know, like being a consultant, right? Like you're always kind of the remote, like the outsider, um, I did it for a couple of years where I was embedded on a team where they were mostly in one location and I was the lone remote guy. And I remember being so frustrated with it, right? Like, you know, they'd schedule a meeting and then it, they would just never consider that there was the one remote guy, right? So mm-hmm. like just getting a, a dial-in number yeah. to the conference room was a pain. Um, so uh, like, th- and that that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, well, it, it's come a long way since then in the last five, six years, and hopefully this will push it even more that, hey, there's always just a, you know, Zoom or a WebEx set up and we just have that capability there just in case. Um, and this is going to force all the companies to make sure that their internet pipes are big enough to handle it. That's the other thing. Uh, that's that's what we've run into in the past as well. But we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I mean, realistically, it's just depends on the company. I think you're right there, Kat. Sorry, Ken, what were you going to yeah. say? Hats off to you, though. I can't imagine trying to do remote before Slack. Oh, I, I have stories about that. <laughs> but yeah, it was, there was a lot of, uh, I mean, what did they have? Jabber, right? Or uh, campfire. I, yeah, campfire. Cool. Yeah. What, what else campfire did we use? Cool you had like music tunes. Yeah. Yeah. You could send music. But you, yeah. you know, everyone would just mute, mute their machine because that there's nothing more annoying than sitting in a office setting and somebody's, you know, campfire goes off. Yeah, yeah, it became <laughs> definitely more of a troll than productivity thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Slack, Slack made a huge difference because everybody started using Slack as opposed to you know having to figure out, all right, we're going to chat via AIM or whatever, you know, whatever else was available at the time. Um, she and I have totally chatted over aim before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That was, uh, you know, that was, that was the standard there for a long time or Skype. Right. I remember using Skype for a I long think time. IRC was like my main thing. Yeah. I mean, IRC was always good, you know, at least, uh, yeah, it's been around for a long, long time, super robust, but it seemed like the corporate world never really picked up on IRC. It was more, they had to go pay somebody like Skype or whatever else, right? To... Anyway, mm-hmm. like now, now we're starting to show my age, which I don't like to do because Ken just makes fun of me the whole time. So mm, I do. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You won't remember if I make fun of you tomorrow. <laughs> Damn it. And oh, Locomoco sec got, got postponed, right? Oh, oh, you've heard of it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I walked in. I, I gave you that one. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. Locomoco. Cat, uh, were you planning on making Locomoco sec at all? Oh, you know, I missed the CFP deadline. Um, but like the thought of getting to go to Hawaii would be pretty cool. Uh, so yeah. I'm bummed that that one is canceled. I think it got moved to January. I want to say they're thinking um, about January, which to me is like, Kind of a good time though, because it sucks here in Virginia during 
January, <laughs> anytime after December, it like really is not fun. So it's good to get, get, get mm -hmm. out of the house, get somewhere warm like Hawaii. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I should probably give I was even bummed about not getting to go to Milwaukee. Oh What's yeah. That? 20 minutes in. I said, I was even bummed about not getting to go to Milwaukee for CypherCon, let alone a Hawaii. <laughs> anyway, introductions. Oh, introductions. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just realized we're like 20 minutes and I haven't even introduced you. <laughs> Um, so cat sweet is the sweet cat on Twitter, which we're going to post your handle, your LinkedIn, all of that stuff here. And if you, you can actually hear, by the way, speaking to my cat, you can hear my cat just screaming outside my door, trying to get Aww. my attention. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I'm going to open the door. It's getting crazy. <laughs> so all we're right. introducing yeah. a cat now. That's what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, I know. Right. This is so, not this has been rebranded as absolute cat sack. Cat sack. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There she is. Yeah. There's the cat. Um, anyways, so sorry, I was very distracted. Um, so we first met Kat at um DevSecOps Dev Days in um Austin. And that conference was run by just as a recap by some of the same folks, James Wicket, um, Karthik, uh, and er Ernest, um, that run like normal uh, normal DevOps days, Austin, just not the DevSecOps days, Austin. And then also, um, James, I don't think is involved as much anywhere, uh, anymore in LastCon, but, um, either way, those, those folks are always involved in LastCon some, in some form or fashion. So we met, uh, Kat and, uh, basically, uh, if you don't know Kat, She's involved in the uh, so CFP review boards for CloudSec, besides uh, ATX, besides LV, uh, Las Vegas, um, has done work uh, with crypto parties, is a uh, tech evangelist. And by the way, I have never actually heard, uh, I'm going to say it's, is it Capsulate? Because I've never heard it pronounced. I've only read it a bunch and I have read it a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Capsulate or cap. So everyone emphasizes it differently as capsulate or capsule eight. Uh, but that maybe that'll become like the new SQL versus SQL debates. Yeah. 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 That's the thing is like, <laughs> I've only read it and I've read it a bunch. Um, but I've never, I've never heard it. I realized this morning, I'd never heard it pronounced out loud. Um, just, or I have, and I oh. just forget, I probably have and just forgot, but, um, anyway, so, uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad, but, um, anyways, we, we wanted to have you on. We wanted to pick your brain. Um, you had a lot of good, the problem with, so we did that round Robin. So that's how we met cats. We did that round Robin at DevSecOps days and it was just, it was fun and it was, it was really cool. Uh, but we couldn't really like dig in obviously with five minutes on all of your thoughts. So we thought we'd bring you in, get, uh, hear more about your background. The cat decided apparently she wanted to go. And anyways, uh, so I opened the door for nothing. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, we just wanted to get, you know, find out more about you, um, find out more about your day-to-day -day and just uh, get you on the podcast and have an expanded conversation. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's going to be back. Um, thanks to Karthik for the introduction. I think he was the one who initially set up the round robin of all the DevSecOps Day's speakers. Um, so it's great to be back for a full episode. I love Karthik. Super, um, super nice guy. So yeah, that was um, a good time. Yeah. What did you what, what did you enjoy about it? What was your favorite? Because I have a couple different talks I really enjoy, but I wasn't sure what your favorites were, or what parts of it um, you enjoyed. Yeah, God, that was three months ago. Um, <laughs> I know. Lifetime ago. Good con. Yeah. What were any yeah. of the talks? Uh, <laughs> Mike no, and Ken Toller um, gave one that was like about cloud security that I thought was really entertaining. Um, Mike McCabe and Ken Toller had given that talk. Um, oh, there that was another... the one that had the the, Sim the Simpsons references yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I that, remember like, that. Like there was like Bart's bank or like Lisa's loan shark or whatever. Um, <laughs> not, not loan yeah. shark, but <laughs> yeah. but it was a bunch of financial institutions and like the the cloud cloudy threat models of of each of them. Um, it was interesting to, um, honestly, for me, it was interesting on kind of a meta level because I had been to in the security conference world for so many years, but 
was very new to the um, DevOps conference space and the DevOps community. Um, I mean, I had, you know, um, good relationships with my um, SRE coworkers um, in past roles um, and my, we have one SRE, so he's cool. Um, but I, it was interesting to see what was what was on people's minds because it, it was DevSecOps days, but it's still, the audience still skewed very heavily DevOps. Um, and there were just a handful of security people there. So it was interesting to see where their knowledge level was. I think, I think because a lot of the people on the DevOps, sorry, I, I, I keep mixing the terminology because that team, the team name in my last role changed so much um, that did the DevOps functions. Uh, because they had such, uh, they had pretty good security knowledge. I think my, that skewed my perception of where people's, where the general community's understanding was. Like I had a former colleague review my keynote and, um, he was like he, he was checking me on a lot of assumptions like okay but what is the actual incident response process like for a security team what are the things that need to happen first why why isn't a uh, quick time to resolution always the the only important thing and all of these all of these different things where I'm like even if their security consciousness is decent there's there's sometimes a just there's room for increasing understanding of each other's values. So I thought that some of the uh, some of the content I saw there was just really interesting to gauge where where knowledge level was, and where my own gaps in knowledge were from from the DevOps side of things. Yeah, yeah. I'm What's curious. Just, like, I, that's sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, just one second, Ken. Um, I, I always find that interesting. Like I love to go to developer conferences or you know like language conferences and others like for that same, for that very purpose, because we get so kind of insulated in our own security community world. You go to DEF CON, you go to even like, um, you know, OWASP global events or, you know, any of the security conferences. And it's like, everybody knows the CTFs. Everybody knows the format of like what instant responses and what like, oh, the OWASP top 10 and all of the, the exploits and things like that. And then you, you turn around and go to one of those developer conferences and, you know, you mentioned just like SQL injection and then people look at you like you're, oh, well, I heard about that once, right? You know, somebody mentioned that in a college course, you know, 10 years ago and you're like, whoa, 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 we got to take a step back, right? Like the, the whole just kind of education of the broader community um, mm -hmm. and even like, we, like you're saying, defining terms that you're talking about, you know, at a conference that's not focused on security people takes a long time. Right. You got you to distill down your, yeah, I mean, just basically your general like speaking terms to something that they understand to equate it. Otherwise, you're going to lose half the audience within the first two minutes. Right. So, yeah, sorry. I, I was just kind of going off that. The, the developer conferences are kind of the same way. Like it's interesting, but it's also um, it's a little humbling because you think everybody knows this and you've been dealing with it for 10 years or whatever you know, or five years in my case, because I haven't been around for that long. But yeah. Um, yeah. So sorry, Ken, what were you going to ask? Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask a really dumb question. Because <laughs> I'm like, is okay, because so we have SRE uh, at at GitHub. And um, mm -hmm. I'm just like, is that basically is that the new term for DevOps? Like, I feel like I'm out of it. And I don't know enough. And so I'm a little insecure in asking that question, but I'm like, is that, is that what we're, is that where it's like DevOps is going now? Like it's just what SRE is, or is there a distinction between the two? I mean, I think there's a lot of overlap. I think what some people would say is like DevOps is a culture, not a role, um, or a mindset, not a role. Um, although there are plenty of roles labeled stuff like DevOps engineer, um, or, like DevOps team, but the, the individual is the, the SRE or the infrastructure engineer. Um, I think there's probably a lot of interchangeable interchangeable titles there. So SRE is the role. Actually, I think SRE might predate DevOps. Really? Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it does, right? Like SRE itself, like a site reliability engineer. For those of you that don't know what that yeah. is, right? That's uh, that's what it comes to. 
I mean, I know they've been around for a long time. I think about some of the, the early roles that you had or the people that were responsible for keeping prod up, right? That's kind of, it's been around mm-hmm. for a long time, but definitely the way they do it has changed. So, yeah. Yeah, and there's definitely a more DevOpsy way than just like, I don't know, just purely reliability. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the technologies yeah. used by SRE to make sure things are reliable just overlaps with every, you know, a lot of what I see in Dev- at DevOps conferences, right? Because I'm not a DevOps engineer, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not. Like I've done a lot of DevOps security, meaning like research of like hacking on, you know, DevOps tooling, but like it's not, it wasn't. So to clear, to clarify what basically SRE is the, that's like the job function and DevOps more like the embracing fail fast, like culture, like, uh, you know, using tooling to automate so much so that you, you, uh, you have some ability to revert back if things fail, um, or, you know, push frequently, uh, you know, just seems like that's maybe how we interpret it. Uh, I think, I, I think it really, I, I, yeah, I, I think it pro- it really depends. Like I said, there's a lot of different titles out there. Um, not being a DevOps uh, person, I'm probably not the best one to speak to all of the intricacies of yeah. of all of that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've no, seen yeah. a bunch of different ones: SRE, DevOps engineer, ops engineer, infrastructure engineer, all of the things. <laughs> yeah, it's not like. It's a little confusing at times. So to me, I mean, so like I've I've been to doing that lately, Seth, trying to like go back over what I think I know and like because we have nothing but time on our hands. So just like going back <laughs> through, like what do I think yeah. I know? And I'm like maybe I don't know that as well. And then, you know, like, well, that's thinking. I mean, with Kevin last week, that's what we were talking about is the fact that we don't know. Like, yeah, you have to constantly learn, right, in the industry yeah. and. Yeah, we, we, you know, all of us, you know, we, that's where the whole imposter syndrome thing comes from is because we talk and we realize that, oh, there's this huge mountain of knowledge over here that I've never touched. And this company or these people on my team think that I know all this and, oh, crap, now what do I do? So anyway, mm-hmm. so Kat, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, like what you're currently working on, like how you got there. Um yeah, I, I mean, I'd be interested to know what you do at Capsulate, what's, or however you say it, right? Capsulate, Capsulate, what, whatever. So, yeah. Capsulati, it's Italian. Capsulati. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Perfect. Capsulati. Capsulati. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm a technical evangelist there. Uh, it's a, a role on the product strategy team, which is a team of two. And, uh, I'm about six months in, so I'm still kind of learning how to elevator pitch my role. Uh, but I've described it in a way as a fractal Venn diagram made up of other Venn diagrams <laughs> because I do a lot of different things for them. Um, so it's a few different pillars of um, there's some product marketing aspects to it where I am helping figure out how we position ourselves in um, in the EDR space um, and to customers uh, and not necessarily doing direct product pitchy stuff outward, but speaking around our problem space um, because I have a background in security operations, which is our user base. So there's some aspect of that. Um, and then there's a little bit of what some people would categorize as developer relations. Uh, we don't, um, not in terms of like necessarily like cultivating a strong open source community, but um, in terms of getting um, getting our documentation um, into a state that's usable by customers and prospects and people who want to um, who have problems to be solved and need to RTFM um, and writing release notes. Um, which has required me getting up to speed on uh, some of the inner workings of our product and uh, Linux security stuff. Um, And then there's also uh, an element of sales enablement. Um, So me looking inward to the sales team to help teach them how to talk about security, how to talk about what problems our product solves, um, why we detect what we detect, 
uh, and again, sharing some of my background um, to give them empathy for our user personas. So there's a lot of different stuff. I've also just done some ad hoc stuff like our product designer started a week after I did and I was one of her first user interviews um, where she was trying to get background from a lot of different people uh, to be able to inform her um, design recommendations for a product, especially our console. So it's a lot of different hats and it's a very, a very new type of role for me because I spent a few years in security operations before then. Um, how I got there was kind of, I was doing, I, I was, I really liked my team at Duo and I'm still on great terms with them. And, um, but I was kind of a little bit ready to be doing slightly different work. And I was finding that I really, really enjoyed getting to talk with people about security and do things like teaching, presenting, bringing people to a place of uh, greater understanding. And that was a really satisfying feeling. And so I was just kind of like, okay, what are some ways that I can do more of this? And that eventually uh, cascaded into like, huh, there are full-time roles for this. Maybe that's something I should try and grow into. So that was kind of the progression there. And it took a little bit because I spent, I'm a career changer into security and I spent so long just trying to break in and uh, level up my own knowledge, meet people in the industry, all of that. And then once I got there, I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> now what? What's next? Now, <laughs> now what? So, so what did you do before security? Sorry, yeah, you can finish your thoughts. Um, so. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so when I first graduated from college, um, first of all, it was 2008, so I graduated right into the recession. Oh, My great. sympathies to anyone who's about to go through that again. Uh, it yeah. will get better, hopefully. But uh, <laughs> I thought I wanted to work in, um, in the political world. It was a presidential election year, and it was a state, state election year. And so I spent a few years after that working in the state legislature first as a page and then as a legislative aide that was a really bad fit for me it was very volatile and there were a lot of bad egos and i never really felt like i could really be my authentic self or make much of an impact so i my job disappeared as a result of the 2010 election so after that i was just kind of like eh, i need to be doing something else this isn't healthy so while i was just working in basically filler jobs for the state and then the University of Wisconsin. I started teaching myself to code um, and via a few friends and an ex, I got kind of introduced to the security community and was very intrigued. And uh, I, I realized after a while that my interest was sticking around quite a bit and uh, self-teaching wasn't really giving me enough time to make meaningful progress because I still had to have a full-time job and a job that was really draining. And so uh, in 2015, I left that job to go back to school to study security full-time. So it took a while for me to get from leaving what I thought was the career to starting a new one in security, but it was definitely worth the ride. Mm -hmm. And luckily you didn't go too far down the career path before you decided that like, it's time for a change. Cause I, I do know of, of a couple people that they've had that same sort of like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm more interested in security. Um, I'm also have people that are no longer interested in security, but uh, that's a different topic for a different day. But uh, yeah, like you, <laughs> you know, you, you did that pretty uh, luckily pretty early and you didn't like meaning you didn't spend 15 years in a career field and then be like, I think I'm going to be done with that, you know, um, which, cause I've definitely seen that. And that's a really, um, both are difficult. Uh, I think, um, it's, yeah, it's hard regardless of shifting, you know, yeah, from one, I think from there's one career path to and disadvantages. Yeah. It's always hard. Um, I think probably the, the leg up that some people who were 15 years into another one had is they had some years of financial stability under their belt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. True. But some of yeah. that is the circumstances of the timing of all of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And 
Yeah. <laughs> you bring up a good point. Yeah, I don't... It's Probably some people are going to go people, through the similar um... thing. <laughs> yeah. Like my current uh, people go through all kinds of ways to get here and they're all really applicable in really cool ways. Like my skip level director in my last role used to be a middle school social studies teacher. Uh, so that was neat. And then, um, my current manager um, used to work in investment banking and now does a lot of writing and speaking about um, behavioral economics as a, they relate to security. Hmm. So it's always interesting the way people find those connections between their past and present lives. Yeah, it is. So, so, you know, like you had a little bit of advice there on like, you know, Oh, it's worth it to press in, but let's talk about a little bit about the specifics of like how you, you know, for a lack of a better term, broke in um, to the industry, you know. So it sounds like you went back to school. You got a degree in cybersecurity. Is that is that the case? And then just did a yeah. job search from there, um, or how did that happen? Uh, I was firing on a lot of cylinders, and a lot of it ended up being luck. Um, but yeah, I went back to school to my local community college. They had a two-year security program, so I had a bachelor's degree um, in gender and women's studies. Um, so I got to skip over um, doing a lot of the gen ed requirements over and could just focus on the security classes. So that was it for me, that was the right path for, at that time. It allowed me to subsist on student loans without having to, I, I was working on security roles, but uh, intern and student wages are pretty meager. Uh, so it allowed yeah. me to get some financial aid in the meantime. And it gave me some resources, like the school had a mini data center, so I could like, you know, spin up. This was like a few years before. I'm sure they're doing more AWS stuff now there, but um, everything was pretty much bare metal back then. So I could spin up servers that I needed to. There were actually um, a bunch of routers and switches so that we could do physical cabling. Um, so it was neat resources that I wouldn't have been able to have on my own had I just stuck with my own computer and my own, everyone says like build a home lab, but not everyone can afford uh, to have a really robust one. Um, it also was really nice to have a cohort. Like everyone talks about learning self-teaching as if it's done in isolation, but it's very helpful when you can bounce ideas off of one another and get that that feedback to see if you're on the right track. And it's not the same as having somebody do the work for you. You're still exploring, you're still paving your own path, but you are exposed to other perspectives. And I found that really useful. Um, my security design class, our final project was actually a group project where we all had to basically design a, a secure network and so we stood up, we had to have like a firewall, a web server, um, a mail server, a few, few other components, and we all took parts of that. So that was really neat. Um, also just a lot of internships are only, I wish, I wish they weren't available to just students, but a lot of internships are only available to college students. So that helped. So yeah, I, um, when I started going back to school, I was doing like volunteer computer repair and volunteering at security conferences. Got my first internship in security operations right at the beginning of my second semester. Um, and actually it was kind of accidental. I had figured that there weren't too many security internships out there, so I should just apply for whatever techie thing I could get. So I applied for, uh, I think just some kind of IT internship at an ISP in town. And they called me back and said, okay, we gave the job to somebody else, but you keep talking about security. So we sent your resume over to the security team, the security operations team. <laughs> so That's it was a awesome. happy accident. They weren't planning on having an intern, but they got one. Yeah, well, and you know, I don't think, um, I mean, cause you had mentioned luck, but um, and there's certainly an element to that. And in most, it's funny in most backgrounds of the people we've talked to, there's always an element of luck, but yeah, I mean, definitely. So you worked on, you put yourself there cause you, you, you worked on a lab and you're absolutely right, by the way, because I remember in like, uh, this is probably 2007, 
I was working on um, getting a CCNP and yeah, I didn't have the money to go and buy like all the switches and all the routers. Thankfully there was like this online site where you could spin up like, like you had talked about like a, a, for pretty cheap, they gave you basically um, interface web interface, but like it's uh, just giving you the ability to, to spin up a bare metal lab essentially. And um, mm-hmm. anyways, my point is like you tie yourself to program, you went and worked on a lab, you reached out and networked with people, you um, reached out and had a training partner essentially slash mentor. Um, so it's like, there, while there may be an element of luck, it's like, there's no way you would have gotten there if you hadn't like obviously learned all the things that you had taught yourself. And I feel like for people that have never tried to teach themselves to program, that's actually for, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I thought that was an incredibly difficult thing to look to like teach my, cause people go to, you know, they go to school and they get like, um, at least some basic understanding, I guess, of programming. Of course, you don't really understand it until you really dig in and start writing programs for yourself. But like, I don't know. I just feel like that was probably one of one of the harder things I ever did was teach myself to program. I don't know if what your guy, what yeah, you all's experience I su- was. I don't think I successfully did it. If I'm honest, I mean, I what I what I think I failed to neglect, failed to mention before is the, the learning to code sort of led me to other rabbit holes like learning Linux commands and learning about networking and stuff like that. Um, I, I was more interested in the bigger picture. And I, I don't code for work. I didn't code for work in my last role. I could maybe like write a few like grown together scripts, but I think a lot, I think there is a huge gap in a lot of the learn to code tutorials out there um, between like, this is a function. This is a for loop. Cool. Now you're ready to be a full-time software engineer. <laughs> yeah. There's no like, there's no good exploration of like this is how you apply this this problem solving mindset using these building blocks that you've just learned. And so I think there's a lot of room to try and build some of that stuff out. The the stepping stones in between giving people the building blocks of this new language and being able to fully apply those building blocks, um, especially especially applying them to somebody else's code because I think it's probably really rare that you're writing everything fresh. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's an interesting, well, oh yeah. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that's going to be helpful. (laughs) No, (laughs) let me explain everything in that that teaches you how to, yeah, it's not okay. So imagine you already know how to code in Ruby. This this takes the but this takes the uh, approach that Kat just mentioned in this book, where, where it is they okay. they walk through a story scenario where, and this is one of the reason I'm posting this is I see this so rarely. You don't see this in in a lot of books. I mean, I haven't anyways in a lot of programming books. They actually walk through like work it's too scenarios. bad it's Ruby, right? Yeah. Oh god, you Hater. laugh, but that exploit is written in Ruby. Oh, I know it is. I know, I know. There you go. <laughs> see, <laughs> only the real hackers use Ruby. Set. Oh, there, there you go. Okay, okay, okay. So, what were you saying? <laughs> Oh, just that you know, if you were cool enough to 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 dig into Ruby, you you would uh you would love that book. No, but so the book is just a scenario base. It's like here's a problem. We need to refactor code. So they show you like here's the problem set and the reason you would do it this way, and then like here's some ways to do it. I mean that's because I because I, I agree with you completely, Cat. Like it's 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 so I spend so much time reading these books, and it, it is it's like. Oh, well, here's how you do a file read write operations. I can kind of get why you want to read a file, but then you talk about like loops and case statements and all that stuff. It's like, why would I need that? I don't really, if you have somebody saying, here's the problem set and this is how you're going to use this code to solve it. I think you're onto something. That's a better way to learn. Well, and, and but you're right. Like, Ken, when you talk about like the experience I had in CS, like learning programming languages, that's what most of the classes were is here's five minutes on how you do a for loop. Okay, now here's a problem set to go solve, right? Mm. Do this, do this, do this, do it multiple times, and then like come back. And that's what you were graded on. It wasn't, hey, do you know what a for loop is? It was, how do you implement that to solve X, Y, and Z problems? So you start talking about algorithms, 
and how you use like sorting algorithms or whatever else. Like if you have a problem set that you're trying to solve, it becomes really easy to think about that. But if you don't have that, mm -hmm. that transition from a for loop to, you know, how it's actually used, it's going to be very difficult. Right. And, and what to Kat's point, right. Like it's, Hey, there's a lot of tutorials on here's all the basics for, you know, node um, or JavaScript. All right, now go use node express. And, but there's not an in-between in far, as far as what is it you're trying to do and how to get there. So mm -hmm. I, like, I, yeah, I would be interesting to actually look at that book, Ken, because it, you know, it, it feels like that's the, that is the missing link there for a lot of that. So anyway. Yeah, yeah no. great. Yeah, I remember I had a, a shell scripting class when I was going back to school, mostly Bash, um, where mm -hmm. the instructor was actually really good about um, being able to break down um, a larger problem into a bunch of mini problems as and turn see how we turn that into a script or a series of piped commands. And that was like, I was like, that was a revelation. I was thinking, this is the class that I could have used three years ago when I was getting so frustrated because I couldn't understand why Ruby used put instead of print. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and, yeah. And to, and to that point as well, right? Like I'm thinking about some of the courses that are out there. Like I know, uh, if you guys know uh, JC and Snow, like Snowfensive, right? Security, they've got like a course that they teach at, at, at Black Hat. It's like Python, but that's exactly what it is is how do you use Python to solve these problems in a security context? Um, and I think what we run into as well, like when we're dealing with developers from an application security perspective is they've come through this whole pipeline of they're trying to solve a problem and then we're throwing at them, what, but you don't know about security, right? Like, like we kind of mm -hmm. treat them like they're dumb and, and that's not the case, right? It's just like, hey, our, my problem set has never involved you know, input validation. Right? Like it's just not something that they've ever had to deal with. And there's there's no shame in that until you start talking to the security team or the AppSec guys if they're like, you know, really into it or whatever, right? You know, but I think there's another layer on top of that that we end up dealing with. So. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I noticed in AppSec training as well is there's sometimes a tendency to just focus the developers on this is the stuff that's wrong, but not necessarily how, this is what good looks like. This is what secure looks like. Here's how you fix the the, the insecure uh, inputs and things like that. Um, actually, one of the, my, my former uh, AppSec colleagues at Duo, I wasn't on the AppSec team, but we've worked with them quite a bit. Um, they open sourced a bunch of their training modules um, and I can dig up the link. It's on the Duo Labs GitHub. Um, so they, they had some really good uh, intro to AppSec training modules where they focus not just on pointing out broken or insecure code, but also uh, doing some modules where you fix code. That's cool. That. Yeah, cause that's- I, I Yeah, mean, it was we, really good. We've tried, yeah. Yeah, I was actually trying to, to to search too for for yeah um, for it. No, I mean you're absolutely right. Like you know when I've been when I'm teaching developers, right? It's always like I try to focus some time on that. The okay. the issue that I always have is they want to learn how to be a, a hacker, right? You know, that's they come to the course <laughs> and they're like, oh, I get to like exploit SQL injection. And we're like, yeah, that's fun, but really you're here to learn the stuff after the fact that we talk about okay, yep, somebody can SQL inject your code. How do you actually solve that so they can't do it? It's mm -hmm. not quite as, you know, oh, I'm not a hacker anymore. Now I'm like a blue team right? like, or whatever you want to call it. Um, that They're actually protecting. But yeah, like that's a, oh, it's a Hunter 2 lessons. Okay. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Mm -hmm. I will have to take a look at that. Um, yeah, they built upon the OWASP uh, juice shop. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All, uh, Which is a great resource, yeah. Put that yeah. here, yeah. Here we go. Cool. There, now people have it. Hunter 2 Sweet. lessons. <laughs> nice. Very awesome. Yeah, it's, um, you know, so this is something that happened yesterday. I was having a conversation. Uh, so Leaf hooked me up with one of his folks, um, and I was having this conversation about threat modeling, and, like, it's not 
really about threat modeling. It's about risk assessment, uh, whatever. We were talking through it and we're like, so on training developers, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of like torn. I'm starting to think it's maybe more useful to just maybe not more useful, but as useful um, to train folks on how to just think about security rather than like, here's the specific, you know, categories of vulnerabilities that could occur. Um, I think you do need both. Don't get me wrong. But like um, why I'm saying this is for the influx of developers that we've had, uh, you know, we went from, a company that of total of like maybe 700 people or less when I joined to, I don't even know anymore, like a lot more. So, um, it, and that's a lot of engineers in that. And so like now it's more of, okay, I can't review all the code. I can't sit here and, you know, I'm also not going to make like AppSec pros out of all these developers. But one thing we can do is think yeah. about more of like how to do risk assessments and how to like determine what your application's risk could be, and then bake in some like new like uh, app or feature requirements based off of, you know, hey, you're doing these things. Like let's 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 talk about you know these standards we put together and point to them, and maybe you can based off those those like if you're building a new app and you know understanding how to like determine what your risk is and then like what security things you're putting into the application like is it authorization related cryptographic related whatever it is and then like how does that relate to the the like the new app requirements do a lot of that architecture like basically assessment risk assessment mm -hmm. all that stuff up front and let you know them understand that better than like maybe it being a every pull request we've got a appsec developer taking a look at it or something. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. It's a hard, yeah, I think as yeah. much as I, yeah, I think that's a great approach because I think as much as possible, you want to make security the default, um, make, make the deviations from that. It's a decision that has to be made rather than making security a, a decision, a, a switch to be flipped on, just baking that in as the, as the um, as the norm is really helpful. Um, I think there's also an element of acceptance that has to happen that uh, developers are human and they'll make mistakes. Security people are also humans, uh, except for those of us who are Cylons. I mean, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll make mistakes too, but I think that um, there's still a need for uh, a, an element of really robust detection and response of uh, risky or just risky developer behavior or um, or mistakes that have been made like secrets accidentally committed to a public repo, um, somebody debugging in production. Um, it doesn't mean that people are doing anything malicious or that they're they're the insider threat, like, no, and we shouldn't treat them that way, but just things will go south. We need a way to know about that and respond to it. So that's, yeah. Yeah. I do. I know everyone, everyone's talking about shifting left and my, my space is very much to the far, like the far later end of the curve of like, we've tried, we've, we've shifted left. We baked in security. The stakes are still going to happen. Let's, let's be able to uh, get back up after we fall down. Yeah. That's absolutely like, been my experience is that no matter how good of a program and believe me i've seen a lot of programs and honestly i do feel like the program i'm part of right now is a top-notch program and it doesn't matter like you're definitely still going to have situations arise what does matter is like where those situations arise from like it's awesome when people internally to the company catch it or if a bug bounty person mm -hmm. catches it and not a nation state actor or <laughs> something along those lines. Right. Um, but it yeah. is going to, you're going to have vulnerabilities. That's I just, you're right. Like you're going to have them and it's like, but how catastrophic is it? Who, who is impacted, who finds the vulnerability is important. Like all the, all that stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. I've said it before, yeah, but what I, controls I'm do you have in place? No. Yeah. How's your cert team? Cause like, honestly, our cert team, I love them. They're amazing. And if I can't say high enough praise for them and they just like, yeah, they, they've got it down, but like, yeah, it's going to happen for sure. That's, that's what I want to leave everyone with. 
Seth. It's going to happen. Yep. It's gonna, yep. Bad things are going to happen to you. So bad bad things are going to happen. So, well, you've got to have a plan. It's going to happen. Right? That's why defense in depth is important. Have a plan, have yeah. an incident response disaster and disaster recovery plan and take, and take measures to minimize the potential impact and the, the, the severity and spread of the impact. Stay home. Stay home. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Stay home. <laughs> wash your hands. Right? Like this. But no, like like, like the, the, the paradigm Crying does that. Does matter, right? You know. What's that? Yeah. Well, no, no. The whole like quarantine paradigm does fit into this because it yeah. doesn't, right? Like, yeah, you know, you do all the prevention, but just get ready because somebody, you know, you're gonna get it, right? And at Probably. what point, like, how, how do you respond? I hope we don't use this entire pandemic experience to talk about security um, as an analogy in the future, though, because it's honestly going to be traumatizing for a lot of people, present company included. And the last thing we want to be doing as security people is dredging up really bad stuff. But yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> or even minimizing point. the experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's something to be cognizant of. So, I mean, Kat, in that in that vein, right? Like, okay, we talk about pushing left. You're almost talking about, hey, you've got to stay right as well, though, right? You can't just focus on one or the other. What is your, like, what have you done in the past or what are you working on now to, like, make that easier, like, from an incident response perspective or, like, what do you recommend? Um, I, I, I know it's a broad question. <laughs> Wherever yeah. you want to go. On the detection and response side of things, um, one thing that's really helped ease the incident response process when I was doing IR is there's always going to be there's always going to be new stuff. There's always going to be uncertainty and incomplete information. Um, being able to have some repeatable steps of not necessarily specific types of incident playbooks, but just initial checklist of like, these are the things that need to happen in the first 10 minutes of any incident as far as bringing, bringing SMEs into the room, um, handing off, handing off other on-call work, uh, all of that. Um, having that repeatability when your brain is in chaos mode, uh, was really helpful to make sure that stuff didn't get dropped. Um, because it just, your, your cognitive capacity is limited when you're stressed out about a security incident or stressed out about anything else. So, any way that you can make some of the steps a little bit more rote and repeatable, um, I found very helpful. Some of there's eventually there's sometimes things that can be automated away too, like um, automated response to alerts or certain types of security events. Um, I, I think if you find that you're doing something that's really really frustrating over and over again, and it feels feels really annoying. There's probably a way to um, revisit that process and either be able to automate parts of it or make some sort of repeatable process or I don't know, work with it. Um, so it's always an iterative process. Um, I think honestly, one of the other things that goes a long way, even if you don't have any consistency in place, even if you are getting floods of alerts, one thing that keeps a lot of people going is just, compassion and kindness for the people that we're working with. Yeah. Um, being uh, being kind in communication, um, dictating what we're doing so that others have a record of what steps we've taken, uh, leading with as little assumption as possible. Um, we're, security gets stressful. It's even It's gonna be even more stre- high stress right now for a very long time and we need to uh, we need to tr- treat each other nicely now more than ever. Um, even in the high stress of incident response, even in, in even in times of outages and uh, a lot of scary unknowns. Um, Probably even more so, right? Yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, I do think you've hit on a few points that I've seen in practice, which are, One thing you specifically mentioned was making sure that things don't get dropped. So a granular example of that, that I've seen is like having a, um, like a template for 
so for us, you know, everything we do is on GitHub issues, obviously. So having like a template that for us is literally just spin up an issue and you can choose the template, but like in that template, it has, you know, like you said, there's things that you repeatedly do and you're like, okay, what can I automate? And then what can I like, just what need, what needs to be automated? What needs to be like listed out as just a thing that has to happen. And maybe you have like a more efficient way or maybe not, but these like sort of that template, that checklist of items to go through is always helpful because like, for instance, let's say you have a situation where like th- this, this actually uh, happened recently where you've got some keys that need to be rotated. Um, and so you need to make sure that everybody that like, when you say that 20 keys need to be rotated, rotated in a company, like that could be, that could be, that could be 20 different owners, all who different have different mm-hmm. access to systems to rotate those keys. Um, so anyways, creating like a checklist was helpful, has been helpful, uh, from what I've seen in our cert team of like, so we don't forget to rotate this, or we don't forget to reach out to these people, or we don't forget to talk to this department, you know, or whatever it is like, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but that's, I, I I really think that's an important point that you mentioned because I think that's critical to the, the cert process. And that's, that's what I've witnessed anyways. Yeah, I'm grabbing a link right now. Um, one thing that I point to quite a bit because I really like their docs is uh, PagerDuty's open source incident response documentation. So if you don't really? have an IR plan or IR steps, it's really good. Uh, they've got like rules and responsibilities laid out, expectations for when people are on call. And so you can grab this and make your own version that fits for, for your own team and their threat model. Um, and I mean, given that they are NIR uh, related service, uh, they're pretty good and knowledgeable on that kind of thing. Yeah, so. they would be the experts. That's awesome. I didn't <laughs> know that this existed. I was actually just reading it after you mentioned it. Like, this is amazing. It, it actually clarifies what an incident is. Um, mm-hmm. Being on call, training. Oh, wow. This is awesome. Yeah. This is chat ops for... Um, yeah, chat ups for incident response. Uh, this is amazing. Yeah, I like it because it's a, it's a very it's very applicable to modern environments that you know are more likely to be cloud based, SaaS based, have zero trust capabilities, um, probably have some kind of chat ops. Uh, I think some of the other there's some older, more dated uh, incident response docs that are very that make assumptions about a more more legacy type of system like you like a lot of focus on firewalls and intrusion detection and on-prem related stuff. And maybe you have a war room instead of a Slack channel that is your war room. I don't like the term war room, but you know, your, your IR room. (laughs) Yeah. I thought this is cool that they actually posted etiquette for like how to behave, how, how to treat each other. Cause everyone's yeah. stressed. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, awesome. Awesome. that's awesome. Yeah. They're not lazy. They just probably got paged. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. This is, this is a really useful uh, resource. Really appreciate that. I'm, I actually want to read all of it now. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Great. Now we have homework. Thanks, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have anything to do, Seth. You know you don't I have know. anything. Oh yeah, I know nothing. You're gonna play that. Uh, what's that game that you people at your age play? The, the shuffleboard thing or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking mahjong? about. Mahjong. <laughs> yeah, mahjong. There we go. The one where you it's got like sand and you like push the. Yeah, they do it on cruises. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, shuffleboard. Yeah, shuffleboard. shuffleboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm not as old as you are. That's 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 what I'm. That's that's my claim. I'm sticking to it. Um, anyway, Kat, we've been going for over an hour. These always go so quick. I feel like we could keep talking for another hour, uh, but we want to be cognizant of your time, and we appreciate you coming on. Um, any uh, kind of final thoughts as far as you know, advice you want to give, or anything like that that you want to put out there? Um, thank you both so much for hosting. Um, I tweet at me if you've got any, any, any questions or anything to talk about. Um, I live on Twitter too much. Um, and yeah, 
play more games, wash more hands, uh, eat more APSEC. There you go. <laughs> Sweet. <There> you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, nor- normally we ask where people are going to be, but everybody should stay home, so we're not going to do that. I'm right going to be um, at home. <laughs> Sweet. No. <laughs> That's yeah. We'll find, find you I online. I did post yeah, the link actually, for cloud security. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh yeah. I was supposed to give a talk at CypherCon on security operations in April, and I'm going to try to find a time and date to stream that. So watch my Twitter if I end up uh, doing that because. We do cool. still want that to happen, but not getting on a plane to Milwaukee. We're about to get shelter in place orders. Yeah. Yep. Smart. Very smart. That's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is did, this link again? This is for April 15th. Oh. Uh, Cloud Security E-Summit. This link. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, so that, that'll be good. That, right? Along with E-Summit. many other companies. What, what's your talk yeah, on there? E-Summit. Oh, um, oh you're giving a, a cloud security. TV. Yeah. Yeah, so part of the Cloud Security Summit. Um, exact topic is PBD, but I've been speaking around um, cloud-related security operations a lot lately, so it's probably going to be something in that realm. Awesome. So that's Sweet. that's that's pretty. It's like a few weeks out from now. So that's mm-hmm. at least at least I got something to look forward to. We got one. Co- we can watch your talk. At least we have one conference. We can we can at least attend. <laughs> we'll watch your talk, and uh, like. You know, hopefully, at least we can participate in some conference. Like, yep. even if it's mm-hmm. digitally, I'm okay with that. So, <laughs> I'm especially, I think everyone's especially looking forward to some sort of thing that they can keep their keep their minds occupied. I know I am. So, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, good. Yeah, Kat, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll find you on Twitter. Uh, we'll post this, uh, the audio up, uh, you know, shortly this afternoon sometime. Um, but if anyone out there has questions, find Kat on Twitter, find us on Twitter or join our Slack channel. Uh, we're, you know, we're all remote, so we'd all love to chat at this point and make sure we all stay connected. <laughs> um, but like, you know, just to reiterate what Kat said, stay home, wash your hands and we'll all make it through this. So, um, good. Ken, anything else? Just thank you, Kat, for your time and for your insights. You've been like, this has been really awesome, super helpful. Have a few things to now read, which I'm okay with again, because we all need something to occupy our time. So uh, got some homework, but happy for it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. See you.